Today's guest is Brooke Jones. Brooke is a published author, comedian, radio personality, and meme maven. Brooke had a near-death experience in which she had a Q&A with God, and today we're going to talk about it. Brooke, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. It's very nice to be here with you. All right, Brooke, my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences. So if you don't mind, can we start with the day or on the day that yours happened? Well, sure, why not? Um, It was a long time ago, first of all. But as most people who either have had a near-death experience or know of people who have had them, they are very well aware that people frequently don't talk about their experience until years after the fact. Lots of reasons for that. Many of them have to do with the fear that their friends or family are going to have them locked in a padded room. But my near-death experience happened in November of 1975. And at that point, I had never even heard the term near-death experience. The whole story of the light and the tunnel and all, I never even heard anything about that. And I think Dr. Moody's book may have already been published within months of my experience, but I wasn't aware of it. And being 25, as many 25-year-olds are, I was a card-carrying idiot. (laughs) And um, two friends, well, one friend brought another friend of his over to my house to have a party. And it was a party that involved drugs that no sane person would go near. And I overdosed. And I was legally dead for eight minutes. There was no telephone in my apartment. I just moved into this apartment. Um, So the guys couldn't call an ambulance. They didn't really want to anyway, because there were drugs involved. Um, So they did everything they could think of to bring me back, you know, walking me around, holding me under a cold shower, all the typical things that are done with an overdose victim. But excuse me, none of those things worked. And excuse me, I found myself floating in what has now become the iconic tunnel. Although at the time, having never heard anything about any of this, this was way bizarre to me. It was a tunnel that seemed to be made of light and it seemed to be breathing. It's really hard to describe ethereal things in earthly language because there really aren't. I'm a writer and I've yet to find words that really adequately describe the experience. So the best I can do is, you know, use terms that people are familiar with and say, use your imagination here because it's bigger than that or it's stronger than that or whatever. So I was carried. It wasn't so much that I was traveling through a tunnel as I was being carried by it. And then I wasn't being carried anymore, and I was standing, although I couldn't see what I was standing on, and I didn't see anybody or anything. It was just me in this environment that was like, I want to say fog, but it wasn't really fog, and it was warm and comfortable, and I was standing up all alone in some place I know I'd never been before and had no idea where I was until I heard the voice of God. And as I, over time, was informed and learned and realized I was standing at the front door, quote unquote, 
of heaven, although I didn't see a door. But I wasn't in heaven. I was, I guess, maybe in heaven's waiting room. I don't know. There weren't any couches or tables or chairs, but I was standing just outside heaven. And I heard the voice of God. And I have to qualify the word heard because I didn't hear with my ears. It was as if I had become a tuning fork and every sound that God made, every word that God spoke, vibrated through every cell in my body. And I, I will tell you right now, I use the pronoun he only because he, she, him, her, they, them, both, neither is a long phrase. So I actually did ask God what his gender was, to which he laughed. Uh, yes, God does laugh. And in a voice that, in retrospect, I realized sounded like <sighs> Darth Vader had suddenly become Mickey Mouse. This voice that I heard was the deepest, most mellifluous, warm, embracing voice I had ever heard slash felt. And he laughed and said, why does everybody ask me that? To which I laughed and said, well, why are you asking me? What do I know? Um, and the answer to your question is, I am neither. And then all of a sudden I heard the most beautiful, feminine, melodic, gentle, and obviously feminine voice I had ever heard in my life say, and then again, we're both. Hello, God is a hermaphrodite. Hmm. Can I please be in the room when Pat Robertson hears this one? I asked God if I could ask questions, and God, he, she, they, them, both, neither, said, of course. And I asked every question that I could think of. Fortunately for me, and I'm sure this is true of a lot of people, back in the day, for me, it was when I was in college, instead of studying for the exam tomorrow, uh, I would sit around with friends and we would talk about stuff, rap sessions. And the most common subject matter back in that day was if you could talk to God, what would you say? Well, there I was. And I had the opportunity to ask God every question, any question I wanted to ask. And he gave me the answers. One of the first things I asked was, what do you look like? And he said, I don't want to harm you because my actual presence could hurt you. And I said, hi, me, I'm dead. Harm isn't really an issue here. But the answer was, and a lot of people have heard this all their lives in Bible study classes or you know, just from mommy and daddy, God exists in spirit and does not have a physical body, which in fact is the case. Um, because I asked, are you, you know, you're pictured as this old white guy with long hair and a beard. And is that what you look like? And he said, no, and I have no physical body. I exist in spirit. So after the, what do you look like? And are you male or female questions were out of the way. And after I had come to terms with the reality of the fact that I was in fact dead and I was in fact talking to God, which, by the way, for me was shocking because when I died that evening, I didn't believe in God. 
I was at that point in my life where I no longer believed that there was a God. So my first shock was, oh, wow, God is real. There really is a God, and I'm talking to that God. I, as I say in the book, I would have dropped dead from shock, but, you know, I was already dead. And then I proceeded to ask every question I could think of. In terms of describing the actual near-death experience, the being transported from the room I was in and the bed I was lying on and the bed I died on, and then finding myself in the presence of God was a rather momentary thing. I don't know how long that time actually took because on the other side of life, time has a whole different meaning. While I was legally dead for eight minutes here on earth, I don't know how that translates in another universe or in heaven or in another dimension or whatever a scientist is going to someday explain where I was and the physical realities of it. But the most impactful, which isn't really a word, the most dramatic portion of my near-death experience wasn't the moment I died and then found myself talking to God. It was the question and answer session that I then was allowed to conduct. And I, as I said, I asked every question I could think of, and God gave me the answers. And I, at the very end, he said, do you have any more questions? And I had the strong feeling that maybe I wasn't going to get to ask any more questions and whatever was about to happen to me was going to happen and I was going to go wherever I was meant to go. Um, so I had one more question that I had to ask or that he was willing to answer. At least that's the feeling I got. So I had to stop and think really hard. If I only get to ask God one more question, I want to make sure it's the ultimate question. And all the other questions I'd asked before are questions I'd thought about you know, all my life, as people do. If I could talk to God, what would I say? If I could ask God questions, what would I ask? So I'd gotten those answers, but now I was told one more question. So I stopped and I sort of pondered, okay, you can now ask God one question. What's it going to be? And all of a sudden, a question popped into my head that I'd never thought of ever in my life. It had never occurred to me to ask. But in that moment, it was the only question I was, forgive me for saying, dying to ask. And I asked it. And I was back in the land of the living immediately after I asked it. Was that question the reason I was returned? I don't know. People have asked me if I came back with a quote-unquote mission from God, um, to which I humorously say, no, the, the Blues Brothers, you know, Jake and Ella Blues, they had a mission from God. Um, I feel like I have a divine responsibility. It took me a while to come to terms with it, but once I did, and once I received proof that my experience had actually happened, and I did get 
undeniable proof that my near-death experience was not a hallucination. It was not a dream. It was not a fantasy. It was real. Once I got that, which happened four months after the experience, I had to learn how to live and how to assimilate that experience into my life and how to make my life congruous with everything that I had learned. And eventually, and it, it took a while, but eventually I came to realize that I don't have a mission from God, but I have a divine responsibility. And that responsibility is to share the answers that I got, to share the experience that I had with everybody on planet Earth. I wish I had everybody's phone number, but that feels to me like the reason I was sent back. I have no idea whether that's true or not, but that's what I've been living with for quite some time, that my responsibility is to inform as many people as possible of what I learned during my near-death experience. So I wrote it down. I had written down every word of it four months after I returned when I had the when the proof was given to me that it had really happened and suddenly every single instant, every word came flooding back to me and I grabbed a notebook and I wrote it all down word for word. And then I spent years trying to figure out how to live my life in harmony with everything that I had learned. And as I have explained before, and I'm probably gonna end up writing about this, I believe I have had an angel on my shoulder since the day I was born, or maybe I'm an alien from another planet, or maybe I'm just a green-eyed cat who's now living the seventh of her nine lives, because as I look back on my life, I realize that there have been at least six experiences that I should have been permanently well and truly dead, and for reasons that nobody can explain. I survived. One of them had to do with the 1994 Northridge, California earthquake, in which I was sitting at my desk at 4.30 in the morning, working on a script for a TV show, and suddenly the lights went out. And I had this feeling that something was weird. I don't know why, but suddenly I heard a voice in my head screaming, get up. So I jumped up out of my high back leather chair and immediately a 7.1 earthquake rocked everybody in Los Angeles and environs out of their beds. Um, and I heard a thunderous crash and it sounded like it was a train motoring through my home. After the experience, after the earthquake, after I came back into my home, I found my high back desk chair where I had been, where I had been sitting at 4.30 in the morning. And I had a, a home office and there were, uh, my desk was up against a window and there were shelves, floor to ceiling of, you know, two by fours in front of me and on left and right. And those shelves were full of my computer tower. You, you remember what a computer tower is, right? And a boom box. You're probably too young to know what a boom box is but terracotta pots and plants and books and everything. I walked back into my home office and suddenly found one of those six foot long two by fours sitting 
at a 45 degree angle in my high back leather chair. If I had not moved exactly when I did, I would have been decapitated. There is no explaining why my angel on my shoulder, whatever, told me to get up. I don't know. I had another experience. I've had I've had at least six, maybe seven experiences like that, which there is no earthly explanation for why I survived. So I believe that I have been, I don't even know what the right word is. I have been protected and kept alive all of my life because I was supposed to have this near-death experience. And as a writer, I was supposed to write about it. And then I was supposed to make sure that it got into the hands of as many people as possible, because I truly believe, and apparently there are a lot of readers who think so too, that if enough people were to read this book, this hate-filled world would change. I have been getting emails from readers of all kinds of backgrounds, but a lot of them come from people who were born and raised to believe that their religion was the only religion and their God was the only God. And anybody who believed differently deserved scorn or ridicule or death. But after reading my book, they have emailed me to say they now find it very hard to deny their kinship with people of other religions and other cultures. Can you imagine, Jeff, can you imagine what this world would be like if enough of those people read this book? There's so much hate. Everybody, you know, you shouldn't be alive and the Muslims hate the Jews and the Catholics hate the Protestants and the Christians hate everybody. If enough of those people read this and had that same response that no, in fact, if you pray to Allah or you pray, you pray to Jesus or you pray to Yahweh or you pray to a tree or you pray to a sun, spelled S-U-N, doesn't matter what zip code you think you are directing your prayer to, your prayers are heard, but there's only one person listening and that's God. And as he told me, when I asked him what religion he was, he said, I'm no religion. Wow. Okay. So what does this mean? All of these people who hate people of other religions, and they're convinced that they're the only keepers of the truth. And when we got onto that subject, I actually felt God cry. And as I said earlier, I wasn't hearing sounds through my ears. I was feeling every sound that he made, every word that he spoke. I was feeling them vibrate throughout my body. And when we got to talking about religion and hatred, I heard God cry. And the closest I can come to explaining what that was like was it felt to me like I was breathing jagged shards of pain and agony. That's exactly what God crying felt like. And I hope I never, ever feel it again. So we talked about hatred and we talked about religion. And he said, it doesn't matter who you pray to. There's only one person, only one entity who hears 
all of your prayers. I said, do you actually hear our prayers? He said, absolutely. I said, well, why are so many people saying their prayers aren't answered? We had a very long conversation about that. And I came to realize that a prayer that you feel is not answered, that might actually be the answer to your prayer. And as God himself told me, he's not a genie. He's not Santa Claus. He's not there to provide you with everything on your wish list. And when we come to him in prayer, unfortunately, many, many, many people think that they're supposed to just ask for a new car or this month's rent or that property over there or whatever. He hears all of it. But when you don't get those kinds of things, it's not because he's not hearing and it's not because he's not listening. It's because you're not supposed to have whatever that was at that particular time. And we humans have a hard time knowing the difference between what we want and what we need, what is good for us and what we just feel we want to have. I spent at least three years of my young life going to sleep every night with the following routine. I would brush my teeth. I would put on my jammies. Sometimes I'd put on my jammies, then I'd brush my teeth. And then I would kneel at the side of my bed, clasp my hands together, and speak the following. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And oh, by the way, God, please give me a pony every night from the time I was five to the time I was eight or nine. No pony. One morning when I was eight or nine, I'm not sure which, I woke up, I looked around, I actually hopped out of bed, looked under my bed, opened the closet, looked in the closet, there was no pony. At which point I decided, obviously that meant there was no God. Because if God existed, I'm a good girl, I haven't hurt anybody, I would have a pony by now. So my lack of pony meant there was a lack of God. We talked about that. He found that rather amusing. We ask for things that we want. And when we don't get them, we too often decide it's because God doesn't care or because God doesn't exist. Or, But none of those are the real answer. We get what we need. And we don't always know what we need. We certainly don't always know what's best for us. I first want to say thank you for sharing your experience with us. I'm a little bit confused about your last and final question. Did you get to ask it? And he I did, and I'm not going to reveal it. Okay, but you did because get to Because every it. moment of my experience led to it. And because of all of everything that I experienced during my NDE, that final question, if I had to point to one specific thing other than meeting God, one specific thing that I have carried with me every moment of my life since then, and which on the spot in that moment changed my life, was that last question. And if I were to tell you what it was now, it would be completely out of context. So I'm going to say what it annoys me to death when, I'm, when authors say this, well, you'll have to read the book. But here I am saying it, you going to have to read the book because it won't really make a whole lot of sense to you without that. So 
And it, it's only a hundred pages. It's just an itty bitty book. You stated that you didn't believe in God anymore. Would you take Thanks it to the lack of pony. Thanks to the lack of pony. No, I didn't. <laughs> Would you take it as far as considering yourself an atheist? I think it would probably be more accurate to say that I stopped considering the possibility of it and it had nothing to do with my life. It wasn't that I was adamantly sure that there was no God. It was that there didn't seem to be any God in my personal experience or in my life. Other people believed, so that was okay. I just didn't happen to have that belief system or that quote-unquote faith. Um, so I no, I, I, if I had to check a box of what religion are you, I'd probably just write none of the above because it just wasn't a part of my life at that point. And, and actually, I remember when I was very young and I was in Sunday school, which actually as a Jew, it was Saturday school. I was raised in a Reformed Jewish family that you know, Reformed Jews don't really know what they believe. Um, and I remember sitting in the classroom one day and the teacher was talking about miracles. And um, I, because of the answer to one of the questions that one of the kids in the class had come up with, it didn't make sense to me. And I'm a logically oriented person, whether that's because I'm a Virgo or just because that's the way my brain is wired. I always want answers. I always ask questions and I need things to be logical. And suddenly this teacher's answer was not logical at all. It made no sense to me, at which point I said, well, that confirms it. Obviously there is no such thing as God. And I, you know, trippingly went along with that experience until my near death experience made me go, Oh, hello, there really is a God. And I just, met him her she he they them both neither so yeah i i wouldn't have categorized myself as any kind of believer at all until i realized that this is real and it was proven to me and i've been spending the rest of my life from that day to this trying to uh, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a messenger, but I try to live in a way that is in harmony with everything that I learned during that experience. And now I realize that I've dedicated whatever time remains to me in this journey to getting this book into the hands of as many people as possible, because I truly believe it can change the world. And, and this has nothing to do with money because I, survived breast cancer it's you know one of the six things i probably shouldn't have survived but did and as such i donate a big chunk of every sale to the breast cancer research foundation so you know my my attempts to get people to buy and read this book have nothing to do with money for me they're all motivated by my desire to make this world a better place which i think is a pretty righteous goal for anybody to have. And I think that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So that's why I'm here with you. Now, you said that you were standing at the gates of heaven. You were standing before God. Did you happen to see your body and note that you had a light body and you understood you were standing? 
or I didn't know that I was standing. Um, I looked down and could not see anything that I was standing on. But yes, I was very well aware of my physical being, hmm. of my body. It was the body I was in when I OD'd. I, it, it was there. You know, I could pinch myself. I, I physically was present. And I physically was standing up. And there were a couple of times when I actually physically sat down because the answers I was getting were mind boggling. But I have no idea what I was sitting or standing on because there was nothing else present. Just me and the voice. And I was it. But yes, I was aware of my physical existence and my physical presence. Um, the the irony it wasn't even ironic the impossibility of the fact that i'm standing up and i'm not standing on anything probably would have made the hamster wheel spin in my head except that i was already pretty busy coming up with questions to ask and trying to absorb the questions and the answers and at one point i actually asked for a pen and paper because i have a really lousy memory, which has only gotten worse with age, but I was 25, but it was already bad then. So I asked for a pen and something to write on because I didn't want to forget. And God immediately said, you don't have to write this down because I am writing it on your soul. At the time, I didn't know what that meant. But four months later, four months after I returned, and I'm not going to tell you what happened, but you'll find out. It's Again, it's another thing that out of context wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. But when I returned and four months later, when I realized that my experience was real and I wrote it all down word for word, I suddenly knew what he meant by I'm writing it on your soul. And... Fast forward to an experience that happened to me in 19, I think, 96, 95, 96. Another of the many experiences I've had that there is no earthly reason why I survived. I mean, none. And this one was hideous. But in the aftermath of that event, I went home, grabbed my typewriter, I still loved my IBM Selectric typewriter, and closed my eyes. And fortunately, I type 100 words a minute. I typed every single word, every question, every answer, the entire thing, because this experience I had just had that I should have been dead from just reawakened the entire experience. So I sat there and I typed every single word. And then I went to the notebook in which I had written every single word, every question, every answer, four months after I returned. And I compared them and they were word for word identical. And this was, you know, 1975, 1996. Math has never been my, you know, forte, but that's a bunch of years. Every single word, word for word, was now on paper in two different places. And so I... This is coming out of nowhere, sorry. Um, I was in L.A. at the time, and I realized that this thing I had just typed read like a stage play. It was dialogue only, questions, answers, questions, answers. So I 
asked a friend of mine who's a very successful voiceover artist. He's, he's the name in, in the voice of video gaming. I asked him if he would be the offstage voice of God in this play. And he laughed <laughs> and he said, um, I've waited my entire life for a woman to call me God. Mm -hmm. And we did a one night, one woman show with him doing the offstage voice of God. And it was literally verbatim from my experience. And the people in the audience that night were blown away. And this was Los Angeles, the place where everybody, almost everybody worships at the cathedral of box office. And, you know, it's all about money. And um, there were people in tears. There were people who came up to me afterwards who said, I, I, this is the most amazing experience I have ever had. And I am now going to seriously rethink everything I have ever been taught. But please don't tell anybody because I'm a Catholic. And I had that experience that night with, I don't know, maybe 100 people. At that point, I realized I should make this into a book so that more people can read these words and can be moved by my experience. So I started writing and then I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I stopped writing because I had other things that I had to do, like stay alive. Um, that was a 10 year battle. And finally I got to the point where I felt strong enough, literally strong enough to pick up the manuscript I had started years before and finish it. And I did. And it was published in February of this year, 2021. And the impact it's having is truly mind boggling. And it's not just about the religious people who said, oh my God, I now cannot find a reason to hate Muslims or Jews or Catholics or whatever because I actually could feel God speaking to me as I read the book. And I can't tell you, I can't count how many emails I've gotten in which people have said that very thing. And when people say, well, where's the audiobook? I want an audiobook of this. I say, I'm not going to do an audiobook. And I was in pre-production to do the audiobook until I suddenly got this swarm of messages from people who said they could hear God talking to them as they read this book. And I realized if I created an audiobook, I might get in the way of that direct link between the reader and the higher power. And I didn't want to do that. So I canceled my studio time and said, there's never going to be an audiobook. I want people to go from the pages of this book directly to their relationship with their creator. Can you give us another example of how you escaped death like you did from the earthquake? Okay. Okay. I will give you one that's horrid. And then I'll give you one that's not quite as horrid so that you're not left with the horrid, horrid one. It was mid-December 1995, I think. I was living in Los Angeles. I had recently had a uh, a back injury. And as a result, I had to walk with a cane. I went to the Pasadena mall to finish my Christmas shopping. I had a big leather purse and it was stuffed with little bitty gifts. And I finished my shopping and I 
cane in hand, hobbled my way to the elevator to go down one floor to the parking garage. And the elevator was empty. And I got in. And just as the doors were almost shut, a hand got shoved in, doors opened, and these two guys jumped into the elevator. They were mid-20s, probably. One is big, one not as big. Um, and their energy was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. They were obviously gang, they were tats and thingy, blah, 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 whatever. And as the doors, it was just me and the two of them, and as the elevator doors again started to close, a voice in my head screamed, get out! I picked up my cane. I shoved it between the almost closed doors. The doors opened. I hobbled out as fast as I could. And as the doors started to close again, I could hear the two guys in the elevator laughing their asses off. I hobbled down one flight of stairs to the parking garage where a security guard, a uniform security guard, saw me and said, lady, are you okay? At which point I sort of fell apart and said, no, I'm definitely not. And I told him what had just happened and what I thought was going to happen. And I described the guys. He got on his walkie-talkie. He made an emergency call to somebody. And then he said, lady, you have no idea how lucky you are. Two weeks ago, a woman was murdered in that elevator. Her body was found in a dumpster with her throat slashed. And the two guys who did it matched the description of the two guys you just met. There's no explaining how I knew. There is no earthly explanation for why I survived that. But a voice in my head, the angels on my shoulder, whatever, got me out of there. I mean, the, the elevator doors were that close to being shut. And if they had gone out, I wouldn't be here now. That's the one that I went home. I grabbed my typewriter. And I typed every single word, every question, every answer of my experience, then got the notebook where I had originally written it and compared the two because I wanted to know for sure. Am I making this up? Is this real? He really had written it on my soul. Every word was the same. You want one other? There are so many. Um, I was in Hawaii um, with my then husband. And um, I was, I don't even know the words for it, a boogie board, whatever, in the ocean, trying to, I don't, I don't know anything about surfing. I'm wearing a bikini, I'm paddling out, and I'm going to body surf on this board or whatever it's called. And um, a wave hit me and knocked me upside down, and the board got away from me, and the top of my bathing suit went one way, and I went the other, and then my left knee went out of joint. The pain was excruciating and I fainted. And I came to spewing ocean, which I had suddenly inhaled as I passed out. I was too far out to be able to stand up and I was trying to call for help. I was flailing in the ocean and I was drowning and I kept passing out and coming to, and passing out and coming to. And there's no way in the world, there's no explaining why I didn't drown. I have no idea. I could see my husband standing on the beach and maybe 40 yards, 30 yards from me. And he's just standing there watching. 
And that's the only person on the beach. I don't know how I got back to the beach. I, I can't explain it. Um, the pain in my knee was hideous. And as I literally crawled up the beach, I just started screaming at him, what is wrong with you? I was drowning. And he said, I thought you were playing. And I thought it was kind of funny. And um, I could have killed him on the spot. And it was then that I learned that my husband didn't know how to swim. I didn't know that before. He never said anything when I said, let's go to Hawaii. Um, Oh, by the way, I can't swim. I didn't know that. So why didn't I drown? I should have. I was losing consciousness in ocean over my head. Why didn't I drown? I can't explain it. And there are several others that absolutely defy any earthly explanation. So the only explanation I've been able to come up with was I'm being protected. And there's a reason for it. And I think the reason is to have written this and to spend as much time and energy as possible to get the word out and to ask people to read this book. So here I am. Do you think that you have any abilities as a result of this experience, like being clairvoyant? Great question. And the truth is... I have always known things I can't explain how I know from the time I was two years old. Um, I, as a child, had dreams. And what I dreamed happened a day, a two, a week after I had dreamed it. Um, I've never understood it. I've gone to dream analysts. I've, I've into psychics and and all we know is that I'm empathic and I resonate with things that other people miss. I mean, that's sort of the best I can do. Um, I know things that I don't know why I know or I don't know how I know. It's a feeling and it took me Years And when I say years, I mean a lot of years. I mean, in fact, it's only fairly recently that I have actually embraced the reality that I do know things that other people don't know, that I do have some kind of gift burden. I don't know what it is, but I do have the ability to feel things that inform my actions. And as a logical, linear, intellectual woman, I don't have any explanation for it except the fact that it is. My brain wants to always be able to explain why, and I can't. All I know is that since I was born, since I was at least two, and that's as far back as my memory goes at the moment, at least that I'm aware of, I have known things that other people don't that I've been able to, it's not like I can say, okay, I'm going to predict what's going to happen next Tuesday. It doesn't work like that. First of all, I think you understand this. Virtually everything is made up of energy. Energy is everything. And I explain that by explaining, you know, look at your hand. Okay, here's a hand. 
it, it's a hand, it's not moving, right? Well, wrong, because the hand is made up of atoms and atoms have electrons and protons and neutrons and they're always moving, always. Every single thing, that pillow over there, looks like it's just sitting there, but it's not, it's moving. Because everything is made of atoms, atoms are energy and energy is what constitutes mass. And here we go on to a big scientific explanation that I'm not equipped to have. But the point is, because everything is made up of energy and because everything vibrates and because everything vibrates at a different frequency, if you are one who is in tune with that reality, then you can actually feel that tree or that pillow or that table. You can actually understand why when you walk into a room full of people, there's one person over there that you absolutely want to talk to, and it has nothing to do with what they look like. But you just need to know them and talk to them, but you have no idea why. Well, the reason is because they are vibrating at a frequency that is in some way um, simpatico with the energy of your own being. And that's what everything that you see and hear and touch is about. It's energy. And if you are willing to accept the reality, which eventually everybody's going to know is true, that everything is made of energy and that everybody has the ability to feel that energy, to resonate with that energy, then people will start understanding things they don't understand now. And they will suddenly get the, whoa, that's what that's about. That's why I didn't want to know that person. And that's why I wanted to know that person it has nothing to do with what they're wearing or what they look like. It has to do with the vibration of that being. And I have been, without my knowledge, conversant in that subject and receptive to the entire concept of resonance and frequency and vibration because I've apparently been a tuning fork for everything around me since the day I was born. And I guess that's why I had no problem explaining that my conversation with God wasn't something I heard in my ears. It was something I felt because I was living dying, an actual experience that was completely about energy and vibration. Um, did my experience um, create or give me any gifts? Not that I'm aware of. Um, it might have given me some tools, though, to help me understand more than I had understood before. But I don't feel like I am a shaman or a priestess, a healer, a anything. I know I'm an empath, but I don't feel that I have any special gifts that everybody doesn't already have. And a lot of that has to do with my willingness to accept the reality of vibrations and that we are all vibrating. And if we could alter our vibrations, which we can, through what we think, um, we would change the world. I did a, um, a presentation not long ago, and um, 
there were a hundred virtual people in the audience. And one of them, after I was done, asked me about the fact that they pray and they don't hear a response. So they're not sure that, you know, their prayers are getting through and maybe they're talking to nobody. And, you know, so I sort of, I don't know why, but I got into a conversation with that person about what we were just talking about, what I was just talking about, about energy and vibrations and how we can change the world through our vibrations. And if you become aware of the fact that what you say and what you do has an impact on the environment, on the people around you, on people you don't know as you walk down the street, that's empowering. And I wish I had the ability to teach people that. You think, as many people do, that, you know, I'm one person, what can I do? I can't change the world. I can't blah, blah, blah. Well, the reality is, yes, actually, you can, because every atom in your body is vibrating. Every atom of everything around you is vibrating. If you are responsible for your actions, as hopefully everybody someday soon will be, you will recognize the fact that the energy you are giving off, even when you're not speaking, even when you're sitting on a subway, not talking to anybody, you are affecting everybody around you because your body is vibrating. You are giving off energy and the energy you are giving off will affect every other person in the room with you, whether you know it or not, at all times, 24-7. You want to change the world? Well, here's a good way to start. Become aware of the energy that you are putting out. Um, Peter Pan said, if you believe in fairies, clap your hands. Well, that's not exactly where I'm going here. But if you are willing to understand that you are vibrating, that your energy is affecting everybody around you because energy does that. It can't not do that. It's not possible for it not to do that. And when you live in accordance with that reality, you have the ability to change not just the person you're sleeping with and not just the guy standing next to you at the bus stop and not just the lady who's giving you your coffee, but everybody is affected by the vibrations that you are transmitting even when you're sleeping. So if you become aware of that and you accept the reality of it, and it is a scientific fact, I'm not making this up, this is not airy-fairy crap. If you decide that you want to live in accordance with that reality, every single person on this planet, if they were to accept that reality, can you imagine what this world would be like? If everybody suddenly said, oh my God, everything I think, everything I feel affects everybody. So I'm going to make a concerted effort to be, if not loving and funny and whatever, at least tolerant at least gentle. If everybody in this world did that, that would be all of the energy that the human race would be spreading. And there would be no more hatred. There would be no more war. Can you imagine? That was probably the most intense lesson I took away from my NDE. And it has certainly informed my daily existence from that day to this. Well, I have to say this, Brooke, that we're running out of time. 
So before we get going here, I want to let people know how to find out about you. So what is your website and what is your YouTube channel and where can people get your book? Okay. Um, here's my book. It's called Why Are There Monkeys and Other Questions for God? And as I said earlier, I donate a chunk of every single sale to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. It's only 100 pages long. You can read it in one evening. And because it's sort of geared towards people my age, baby boomers, you know, um, and we are, as I know very well, um, dealing with eyesight that isn't as good as it used to be, I had the book printed in 14-point type instead of the industry standard of 12-point. So it's a little bit bigger. I still need to wear glasses when I read it. But anyway, I was trying to make it easier for people my age to read, and it's only 100 pages long. Um, my website is www.writtenbybrookjones.com. All one word. Brooke has an E on the end of it. I'm very attached to my E. And on the website, you will see links to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco, the Strand Bookstore in New York, a whole Powell's in, in Portland, a whole bunch of bookstores. And you can order it in ebook or paperback or hardcover from any of those places. And all you have to do is go to my website, www written by brookjones.com and you can go directly from there to Amazon or wherever and order the book. Um, I, you can also go to my YouTube channel, but I don't know the address, but you can go there from my website and just click on the trailer for my book and that'll take you to my YouTube channel. I, I'm old. I don't know this kind of stuff. I'm just now learning about it. I don't know. Um, I also have a blog, What If, and you can find that at whatif.blog, but there's, all of that is all connected from my website. So written by brookjones.com will tell you everything and it'll take you wherever you need to go to my blog, to buy the book, to my YouTube channel, to my greeting card company, Card Bard Greetings, which are decidedly twisted, <laughs> rather like me. Um, and also every card I sell, I give money to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. Um, and people aren't sending greeting cards very much anymore, which is one of the reasons why the post office is in so much trouble. But, you know, check out my greeting cards because they're kind of fun at zazzle.com slash the card outlet. Um, and I'm, I'm not trying to make money here. I'm trying to change the world. And, you know, I'm hoping everybody will help me. I've, I've also heard from, I'll come back to how to reach me. The bottom of the homepage of my website written by brookjones.com has a contact form. And you can ask me a question, you know, tell me where to get off, whatever, on that contact form. That's a direct link to me. Besides all this stuff that you got going on, is there anything else that you're doing that you want us to know about? I have several other books that I'm working on. One of them is an illustrated children's book that's going to be way fun with a dear friend of mine whose name is Lynn Hill and she's just a remarkably gifted artist and she's illustrating this book and the whole story of the book is her creation I'm just writing it with her um but no as I said I oh I know I know I oh my god my memory at this point in my life really only works when I use it to strain pasta but I suddenly remembered 
Um, I have also been hearing from a bunch of baby boomers who have read my book and have said to me via email that before they read my book, they just didn't know what was waiting for them on the other side, or they were concerned that, you know, is this all there is? You know, Peggy Lee song, because um, that would be kind of distressing. And they're afraid of, you know, put their head on the pillow at night and maybe they won't wake up in the morning and, oh my God, what's going to happen? Well, after reading my book, they tell me through emails, they're not afraid of that anymore. That reading Why Are There Monkeys and Other Questions for God made them no longer fear what awaited them on the other side. But even more amazingly, I've been hearing from caregivers of terminally ill patients who were before this book was read to them or before they read it, they woke up every morning terrified and not knowing why they were bothering to stay alive and they didn't know what to do with whatever this last minute in their lives was about. And they, they lived in dread every single minute of their days. And I have heard from them and from caregivers that after reading Why Are the Monkeys and Other Questions for God, these terminally ill patients who know very well that they're not going to live very long, no longer fear what's waiting for them and no longer feel helpless to deal with the situation that they're in. So this is three categories of people who have read this book and who are telling me that it is changing their lives. The baby boomers who know they're living in the last chapter of their life and wonder, is this all there is? The terminally ill patients who are terrified about what waits for them on the other side and the people who were born and raised to believe that they were the only people believing in the real God. Those three groups of people are telling me that this book has changed their life. And a reviewer recently, I have no idea who this woman is, posted a review on my book's Amazon page that said, I hope this book becomes a big bestseller because if it does, this world will be a better place. I didn't pay her to say that, but that's what I'm hearing from people. I have never been a Catholic. Um, I now do not profess any organized religion. I've learned my lesson. I was walking through my living room one day years and years and years ago, and Pat Robertson was yakking on the television and saying, I will make everything all better if you send me all your money. Well, that was the end of my belief in the possibility of any organized religion, but this Pope is an amazing human being. And if you haven't seen the movie, The Two Popes, I hardly recommend that you do. And no, you don't have to be Catholic to do it. It's an amazing piece of work. But this Pope, who's, uh, I think, from Argentina, is an amazing human being. And everything I have read that he has said is not the verbatim stuff of the Catholic Church. It's completely in harmony with the God I met. I believe that this God, that this Pope really is living in service to this God and not to the Catholic Church, unlike his predecessors. And so I sent him a copy of this book. I, I have no idea why I did that. I just did that. I'm also in the process of sending one to the Dalai Lama. And to everybody else I can think of 
who might say, oh, wow, I want to tell people about this book. I haven't heard back from the Pope yet, but he's been a little busy. So, you know, but I did that because I really believe in my heart of hearts that this book can change the world. And I already know it's changing the lives of a lot of people who have read it. Of course, there are people who read it who say, oh, good Lord. That's okay. This is a subject that is going to get reactions. And if you're one of those people who's an evangelical Bible-thumping fundamentalist, you're going to have trouble with this. But you're the exact kind of person who needs to read it. What you do with it after you read it is entirely up to you, but please read it. Be open-minded enough to tell people you know who are those kinds of believers, oh, I will never give it to my Uncle Harriet or my Uncle Harry because, you know, give it to Uncle Harry as a Christmas present. He might want to burn it. He might just take a look at it when nobody's in the room. And people are telling me they're hearing God talk to them when they read his words on the page. So that's what I'm doing. I am trying to get every human being on the planet to read this book because this world's in deep trouble. And the environmental crisis is one thing. But at this point, if Mother Nature doesn't flick humanity off the planet because she's just had enough of us and who would blame her for doing it, we're doing it to ourselves. And the human race is very busy killing everything they see. And the hatred is thick enough to cut with a butter knife. And anything anybody can do to make this world a better, kinder, more tolerant place, they should be doing. And that's what I'm doing. Before we finish up here, do you have one last positive message that you want to share with everybody? Aside from please read this book. um, I believe that every single human being has an ability to make a difference in the lives of people they know and people they don't know. And to think that, oh, one person can't make a difference is wrong because you can, whoever you are, wherever you are, the way you interact with everybody and anybody with whom you come in contact can have an unbelievably powerful and lifelong impact on that person. I talk to strangers all the time. And other people say, well, you know, why really? Why would you bother? Because I do. And I have heard from people who have always said, I always talk to strangers. And I met one guy who said that somebody else was talking to him, didn't know him, and that he said something or he was told something by a complete stranger that took him from being in a horrible place on that day in that moment to realizing that Things weren't quite as bleak as he had thought they were. Every single human being has that ability to make the life of another human being better just by the energy that you give off. And if you would just recognize that reality, you'd be starting to make this world a better place for everybody. That's a great message. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for being my guest. I wish you massive success with this book. And I wish you massive success in whatever you're doing. 
You're very kind, Jeffrey. Thank you. And you're doing a wonderful job with your show. Keep doing it. And thank you for giving me the time. All right. Thank you very much and enjoy your evening. You too. Bye-bye.